Hey, this is WWE superstar and two-time WWE Grand Slam champion, The Miz, and I'm here to tell you about the best way to champion your NFL team this upcoming season. WWE Legacy Title Belts. That's right, WWE Legacy Title Belts, an officially licensed NFL product. These WWE Legacy Title Belts are premium quality and have been created for all 32 NFL teams. And as someone who's proudly carried title belts on my shoulder, secured them to my waist, and displayed them in my home, I can tell you that nothing will catch people's eyes quite like the WWE Legacy title belts. So whether you love the Steelers like Marchand or the Commanders like Orand, visit Fanatics.com, NFLShop.com, or WWEShop.com today to purchase a WWE Legacy title belt for yourself or the biggest NFL fan in your life. Take it from me. There. Awesome! John, is this the Super Bowl of carriage disputes? ESPN versus Spectrum? It might be. We also have the Super Bowl broadcast team. Greg Olson, Kevin Burkhart as the big get this week. Greg, you know, we've been doing the Brady meter after he signed his 10-year $375 million contract. How much? 375 I'm getting seven seafood platters this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. The Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. Joining us a little bit later for the big get, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Reminder, if you like, if you give us a comment, um, if you give us the five stars, we appreciate it. Uh, let's do it. Who's up? Who's down? John, why don't you take it? All right, Andrew. My who's up is... Julie Lawless, she's the CEO of Cable One, and she also has uh, basically come up with the blueprint for Charter uh, in their dispute with ESPN. There was a, a couple of years ago, about four years ago, Cable One, it's a smaller cable operator. It has less than a million subscribers, Texas, Montana, sort of in, in the Western part of the country, and they decided to de-emphasize video. So when these video channels came in and they wanted some uh, big increases in, in their rates, Julie Lawless decided to pass on them and make sure that her customers stuck with broadband because cable operators make so much more money, so many more profits from broadband than they do from, from traditional video. So it's different in the sense that Cable One has pretty much given up on video and it appears that Charter actually does wanna find a, a solution for video, but what Cable One has been able to do in the past four years is to show Charter that if it does away with video, there's still a pretty good business for it ahead. All right, John, my who's up is the NFL. I think we're all excited for it to begin on Thursday night and then into the weekend and into Monday. Uh, hopefully around here we can see the game on Monday because those of us who have Spectrum, uh, ESPN, ABC are currently off the air for the Jets game. Uh, and the Bills next Monday. Um, but uh, the NFL is king. Uh, we talk about it probably, I'd say it's 25% of this podcast um, coverage as well. And when you look at it, um, they're going to have the highest rated shows. Uh, the year's going to end with the Super Bowl on CBS and Nickelodeon. Uh, and that's going to be the highest rated programming. And so I just think uh, we just kind of, it might be an obvious one in some regards, but uh, the NFL starting up, uh, it's kind of like the start of the new year, it feels like, uh, when football, especially, 
you know, college last week and then the NFL now this week uh, when they begin. All right, I'm going to go with who's down. And my who's down is Adam Silver of the NBA. And again, it has to do with Charter and ESPN. And I still think the NBA is okay, Andrew. They All you need is one more bidder than the number of packages that you have out on offer and, you're, and you should be okay. But there is a potential disaster scenario that's, that's facing uh, Adam Silver and the NBA as they wait for their exclusive negotiating window with Turner and ESPN to end. And that is if Charter gets out of the video business, which is a possibility, and if other cable operators decide to follow, the media rights could reset lower and that could have broad imp implications on team values, on player salaries, on everything else. And so you have the NBA going into its uh, renewal for media rights with an ESPN that is now facing potentially an even bigger revenue shortfall than it was expecting because of this uh, charter deal. You have their, their other provider, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, which runs TNT, which also is under uh, some uh, pressure in terms of trying to cut costs. And then you have these digital companies and Apple and Amazon, which aren't interested in this entire package of rights or just interested in, in some rights. And that doesn't even mention the uh, Diamond Sports RSNs, the uh, Warner Brothers Discovery Sports RSNs. Uh, it, it's the, the media business and the rights fees that are coming from the media business. Uh, there are a lot of red flags out there. My who's down is Bob Iger. Bob Iger is one of the iconic media executives of all time. He could be sitting on a beach right now. Everyone would be saying, oh, only if Iger was there. It could be somebody else's problems, the writer's strike, stock going down, and now this uh, disagreement with Spectrum and the trying to figure out direct-to-consumer. Instead, Bob Iger is in the crosshairs of all of this stuff, uh, trying to figure it out, and um, so far it's not going well uh, for Bob Iger. Ithaca College alum, second greatest of all time after Gorilla Monsoon, as we all know. Do you think this is over? You think I've forgotten this? I never this has been a... Uh, a poor run for Bob Iger, and he could be sitting pretty, everyone saying, oh, if only Iger was here, and instead um, he is here, and things have not gone as planned, at least thus far. Andrew, that is a, a perfect who's down to take us into topic one, which for me is pretty much the only topic for, for uh, of the week. We have uh, more topics coming in, but it's, uh, it's such a big potential story uh, about how people are going to be consuming media and watching uh, games going forward. No doubt about it. So let's kitchen table this, John. This is kind of, um, I said at the beginning, this is the Super Bowl of the carriage disputes. You've been covering these forever. There is a feeling that this might be different. Now, let us say that we're taping this. Uh, the podcast comes out Wednesday morning. Uh, we're taping it on Tuesday afternoon. Um, but as of right now, it's a complete standoff. Yes, the two sides are discussing what to do, but it's affecting 15 million people. Um, around 15 million uh, Spectrum subscribers who do not have any of the Disney channels, which in our neck of the woods means ESPN, ABC, all the ESPN channels. So what should people know just to understand it at first? People should know that this could take a, a, a while because for as long as there's been a cable business, you have had these types of disputes so where programmers want more money and distributors don't want to pay, uh, pay as much money. And for decades for you know the past 30 years 35 years 
the programmers have held all of the leverage. And if you look at what ESPN is doing right now, they're using a playbook that was developed back in the 1990s. They had their deal end at the end of August, going into a long uh, holiday weekend where college football started. Next week, you're going to have the NFL uh, on on Monday night football. And then you're going to just have a wave of college football game after college football game after NFL game. Uh, U.S. Open also is going on. And they're depending on angry sports fans calling up the cable system and saying, like, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving you for DirecTV or YouTube TV or, or whatever have you, and we're gone. And faced with the prospect of losing those subscribers, the cable operators like Charter, like Comcast, always buckled, all, always came to a deal. This is different. This is totally different because my who's up, Cable One, that small cable operator has showed that cable has a very healthy business if they just fo- focus on broadband and they focus on wireless instead of having a, a, a of paying increasing costs for these uh, for these programmers. And the reason why I feel that this one is different is because of the way Charter has been acting. So when people call up to complain or to cancel their subscription, they're sending these subscribers to Fubo TV and they're saying like, we just want to make sure that you stick with us with broadband because you need our broadband in order to, to stream ESPN off Fubo TV. Hopefully we can, you know, can bundle in wireless as well, but they're already sort of pointing their own subscribers to where they should go if they're angry. They're not trying to keep these subscribers by saying, oh, this will be done in a week and we'll tie up all the loose ends. It's a totally unique way of looking at things. And if this strategy works out, it will show that the leverage, which for the past 30 years have been with the programming networks, has actually turned and it's now with the uh, cable operators. Now, I know Moffitt and Nathanson did report that they're doing that. And I, they are doing that. But I will tell you, like, I have Spectrum. So when you try, this is like disgusting, in my opinion. When you try to cancel Spectrum online, um, they don't let you. They'll let you add stuff. Like, so I've gone through it and I like, said, oh, let me add something. They'll let you do that. If you want to cancel, you have to call. And that's hours and hours of delay. So they might be interested, as you said, in getting out of the video business. They're not that interested in you or I getting out of the spectrum watching their video business. Like they're not very helpful in allowing you to do that. So I think that to me is like gross. Now I know that's- But you, you have firsthand knowledge. That's been the history of the cable television. There's a reason that it's difficult to cancel. Uh, one thing that uh, that Michael Nathanson of Moffitt Nathanson reported as well, that is uh, probably going to change. Uh, and I'm curious to see if it does, where you have a QR code that you're going to be able to click on, get rid of video, keep broadband and add, add different things, making a one click. That would be smart. And I think what you're talking about in terms of what's in danger for Spectrum is uh, their brand. And, you know, would their, is their brand going to be hurt by the fact that, you know, the way these things usually go is now people blame Spectrum for not providing ESPN and the Disney channels for them. This is different in the sense of they have agreed to raise cable fees um, for the Disney suites of channels. Um, that's been agreed to. The direct-to-consumers, Charter feels like and Spectrum feels like those should be provided freely. Now, when I talk to both sides, I go at these people and just try to give the devil's advocate. 
The thing I don't understand on the spectrum side of it, again, let me just preface this. For the consumer, this is like a choice. Rooting for either Spectrum or Disney <laughs> is like choosing between being hit in the face and hit in the stomach. So it's like there's nobody you're not rooting for. It's hard to root for anybody here. That said, if you look at the history of how these disagreements have gone, when ESPN has added ESPN2, for example, they got more money because there's more programming, more games especially that they're offering. Now with ESPN Plus, where we where we exist, they've added more games. I don't understand the spectrum position, just have the history of how things have gone, that they should not have to pay for those extra, that extra programming. Um, as a consumer, I would say, yeah, I'm already paying enough. Great. But ESPN and Disney have spent billions of dollars for those. I don't understand how you could say, well, they shouldn't be paid for them based off of past history. Why is that wrong? Where, give me the spectrum side of it or you, what you think of that. All right. The spectrum side of this is that uh, if you go back to 1992 or 1991, when, when they launched ESPN2, it was exclusive to cable. There was no, there was no possibility of having anything go to direct to consumer. If you take a look at ESPN Plus, which is not ESPN, that's not ESPN's direct to consumer, it still has a lot of events that are on ESPN that, that, that have migrated over to ESPN Plus. And on top of this, you have in your Who's Down, Bob Iger, talking about it's not if we're going to go direct to consumer with uh, ESPN, it's when. So all of a sudden, ESPN is launching a competitive direct to consumer service to Charter Spectrum. And, and, and they're turning around and asking Charter Spectrum for a, a pretty significant raise in what they, they pay to have ESPN. These deals typically go like four years. I mean, Charter knows in four years, ESPN's going to have launched its uh, direct-to-consumer service for, for ESPN and ESPN2. And, and Charter's going to be stuck there paying some sort of exorbitant cost with a channel that has to go to the majority of its customers and saying like, look, we can aggregate your, your consumer services. I understand why Disney says no to this, but I, but, but if you're charter, you're saying we're already spending too much on programming. We're not making money on programming. If it doesn't work, then we'll, we'll just become a broadband and wireless company. Like we don't need to provide that video. Yeah. I don't disagree with, um, Spectrum for saying like we're you guys are openly talking about creating another business that's going to be an alternative for this right for the ESPN and you know especially ESPN. Um, that said, and like you know, I don't understand why though you wouldn't agree to, and maybe they've discussed this that you could get these channels at a discount through Spectrum. How is that not a win-win for everybody? So and, Andrew, how much do you pay for Spectrum? $268. $268 a month. And yeah. and how big is your expanded basic tier? And they're losing for to cord cutting all these people. But John, they've agreed to to continue that and charge me my 268. They're cool with that. They no, they haven't agreed to it. Well, uh, okay, I'm sorry. They they obviously did agree to it. However, the leverage has always been with the programmers and they jammed this through. And finally, they jammed it through to such an extent that they're saying this doesn't make financial sense for us anymore. But it does. They're saying no because they're agreeing that from what I've been told, it's been reported elsewhere, 
they've agreed to what if the fees if they've agreed to the fees but it's under it's under a ton of conditions that are untenable to disney so i love i love when charter says this it's like oh we agreed to pay the rate but the, but they would they were going to knock but this is my question to you like again again it's between being hit in the face and hit in the stomach okay so i'm not like taking a side here in terms of who you're rooting for here but like they're offering with espn plus and disney plus more programming they're offering more like, should they just put that on ESPN? You know, you could argue that, but there's not enough space on ESPN. ESPN can only put one game on at a time. With direct-to-consumer, you can put more. So why would it make more sense that, yes, it's on basic, right? The What we have now is on basic. But then that they have an agreement where um, a potential direct-to-consumer product, or ESPN Plus, you can get at a discounted rate, maybe a couple of dollars off. Wouldn't that be a win-win for both? I think that that's going to come out in the negotiations uh and, and so we'll see where that where that price comes out and despite my doom and gloom uh i still believe that charter's not ready to give up on video and th- that there's going to be a deal to be had at some point will that be the end game because like that's where i don't really understand again the if you're adding more programming i'm getting more games is it too expensive maybe yeah i, I agree it's all too expensive it stinks and but I think the solution to me for all the, for both places, where's the win-win for both these places is that yes, make it so make it so the best option is for URI to keep cable and then be able to add ESPN plus, you know, and then when they go mothership direct to consumer, you figure out where the sweet spot in terms of the payment is there where it's discounted on cable as compared to what you'd have to pay if you're going direct to consumer that seems to make more sense. And maybe, again, we always say this when we talk about negotiations, this is with the PAC-12. Yes, they're fighting right now. We don't know. We have to wait till they're in the end zone, right? Or if they never get in the end zone, um, where that comes out. So maybe this is where the negotiations are. And if you're charter, you start at zero. Like, we're not paying anything. And then, you know, that's a great stance to take because then if you get the number you want in, in terms of this add-on, that to me makes sense. That's, where, that's how you get to a solution. You have blinders on right now for this one uh, specific deal, but yep. if you've if you've been listening for the past decade to cable uh, cable operator executives, they've been telling telling us that video is uh, not, it's maybe not a loss leader, but they're not making any money off of video. It's it's something that they had in as a bundle to get broadband subscribers, and I, I think it was twenty thirteen. Jim Dolan owned Cablevision before he sold it off to Altis. And he said back in 2013, he sees a day when he doesn't offer video at all. I mentioned Cable One a bunch of times. They've done without uh, video. You look at um, Dish Network and Charlie Ergen decided regional sports networks cost too much. We're getting rid of regional sports networks. Everybody, every single cable operator executive looked at Dish Network after he did that and saw that the the uh, revenues went up, profits went up, and it, it ended up being a good business deal for them. So th- yeah, this is its individual deal, but there's 10 years, 20 years of, of particularly sports networks charging as much as they can. And cables finally is saying, we can't afford this. And it's uh, I, I, we, we saw this coming. The question is whether this is gonna be the tipping point or whether it happens in four years, but it's clearly happening. Okay. Now let's, as we're, people are listening to this, let's assume that no deal has been done. Uh, I think this weekend is 
a key point because you have Texas, Alabama, you have the U.S. Open Finals, you have in New York, uh, very interesting, Aaron Rodgers' debut uh, against the Bills. I mean, those are three must-have programming um, if you're in certain areas of the country. Um, those are must-haves. Let, let, me, let me ask you a question specific to, to you and specific to Monday Night Football. It's, it's, on, a, it, it's on over the air. You can't get ABC. On, on, on through through uh, you can get it through an antenna. An antenna. I mean, do you, do you have antenna. the do you have the capability of doing that? Do you do? Would you even know how to do that? No, I mean, I could look it up, but I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure I can figure it out. But like the thing about all this is a pain in the butt. I mean, that's why it's so uh, maddening that like you're telling me in one, at one hand that you know Spectrum wants to make it easy for me to go get ESPN someplace else, and then I got to take three hours to cancel it. I mean, my situation is like, I'm not like, I, I haven't done anything yet. I'm going to, of course, but I didn't do it this weekend. I wanted to feel like what this was. Right. Um, and I tried to, you know, for, and I also the, the games that I wanted to watch and stuff I want to watch. I mean, there were great games that I wanted to watch on NBC and Fox this weekend. And so I just focused on those. Um, but like over time, of course, I'm going to get ESPN. Um, but I don't think they're really making it easy. You're, you're, like the, the idea that they're making it easy. They're not like Chris Canty, you know, does, radio and TV for ESPN. He tweeted out, a, he was on the uh, call for two, three hours trying to cancel his uh, spectrum. <laughs> uh, and so it's like, and now, you know, they're, they're going the full court press uh, in terms of getting the word out there. Um, but the bottom line is like, here, here's the, here's my question for you. How does this end? How, how does this end within a month? There will be a deal done four years from now. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we can clearly see, that charter is willing to go without video uh, and, and it's willing to focus on, on broadband and wireless as, uh, as it's two main services. And you are going to be stuck having to go to Hulu or YouTube TV or Fubo TV, or, you know, take, take your pick on that. But the thing is, we also missed one thing. Maybe you said, and I missed it. Um, but the favored nation clause is very important here because if they do this deal with spectrum it applies to everybody else as well so like they can't do a deal that's not tenable for the whole in the whole uh ecosystem and so that's why this deal is not just like a one-off like oh they want to deal with them if they do this kind of deal where they kind of gave the uh direct to consumer products to spectrum for quote free they're not free because obviously there's um, a lot of fees associated with the ESPN and Disney channels. Um, but that's something that's very important to note because it's not just a spectrum deal. Um, it's a deal with everybody. And so all these other cable companies are rooting them on um, to, to fight this fight so they don't have to and they can uh, reap the benefits. And they're rooting a charter on because charter is uniquely positioned to be the big cable operator to fight this because if you look at Comcast, it owns NBC, it owns a lot of programming networks. It would have a lot harder time trying to hold this kind of line based on uh, what its assets are. Um, DirecTV, they, they, they don't really have a broadband business. They are dependent on having, cutting deals for these uh, types of channels as well. Charters uniquely, they have a couple of RSNs in LA. Uh, they don't have national networks and they're uniquely positioned to do this. I got a question for you. Okay, we have the Brady meter. All right, I feel like that might be my like Ooh, uh, sweet spot. We need the Oran meter. Wait, let me think. No, let me. Th does this work? The Oran odometer. <laughs> I like it. All right, the Oran odometer. Oran odometer. Oran odometer. Oran odometer. Oran odometer. Oran odometer. Oran odometer.
Governor. <laughs> By Monday night football, is there a deal done between Charter Spectrum and Disney? I love this prediction because it could be totally wrong by tomorrow, but I say there's no chance there's a deal done before Monday night football. Uh, I think that both sides want to see what happens after Monday night football. And there could be one soon after Monday night football, or there could be one a couple of weeks after Monday night football, but that's a game. And frankly, a weekend that, uh, that uh, you should have circled because that's going to de- uh, determine a lot. I was looking for a percentage, but you went full out. Uh, oh, okay. No, better, you know what? Yeah. If you're, I'm all in 0% chance, 0%. This operation had a 0% chance of succeeding. Let me zero. check and see if the odometer is plugged in right now. It's still down at zero. Yeah. All right. Let's just go right to, because we got, we, we have Olsen and we have Burkhart in the on deck circle. We talked a lot of NFL last weekend at the top. Um, just quick NFL. Um, the thing you're most excited to see um, this year in terms of storylines. Uh, we got Amazon the second year. We got Nance and Romo Super Bowl year. We got a Nick Super Bowl at the end of the year. Um, everything else has settled down a little bit. There was some movement um, in terms of pregame shows and some games, you know, the um, down the, the roster uh, for some of the, especially for CBS. Biggest story that you're most interested in? The future of TV, man. It's Peacock has exclusive access to a playoff game. I'm dying to see how they market it, uh, the, the, uh, the the viewership that comes from that. I think that that's something that's going to be uh, really interesting. ESPN Plus has exclusive regular season games as well. Uh, we, we've seen the NFL give out exclusive streaming deals to, you know, I think Yahoo had some and it, it's happened before. Uh, it, it seems to be happening a lot more this season because we hear from angry soccer fans all the time. And we hear from angry fans that have uh, baseball fans that have to, buy another service what's going to happen with the nfl and these these different streaming deals all right for me the mccordy's uh who are building media budding media empire very budding i'm not going to say but you got devin mccordy uh joining nbc for the highest rated pregame show uh nfl pregame show on a football night in america with maria taylor and company and then jason mccordy does good morning football uh, is adding some TV games this year with CBS, adding some radio games. I'm um, very interested to see how those guys do. I have a big feature on them uh, that I just wrote. I do think coming into the Super Bowl, Nance and Romo, where that goes. And I think the Knicks Super Bowl is very interesting. Noah Eagle, NBC is going to let Noah Eagle uh, call that game, um, which he's worked with Nate Burleson, who's the star of that show. Um, and so I think that's uh, – I'm very curious about how that all works out, too, with the uh, alternative broadcast. Uh, the Super Bowl Sunday, I think that will be a big deal. All right, let's go to topic three before we get to our big get, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. And it's Chris Fowler, who uh, was calling the U.S. Open. He left the U.S. Open to go call college football. And that's where we heard this. Instead of punting to pin the Gators back, they have trotted out kicker Cole Becker to apparently try a 55-yard field goal. It was good earlier from 51, had plenty of leg, drives this one, and bangs it through from 55. Did he miss it? Did it, did it go wide? I was excited. I got excited because it was yeah. flying long, and it, he did miss it. Now, Chris Fowler actually uh, put out a video via Instagram where he, he explained that missed call. Let's listen to that. 
Greetings from Flushing Meadows in the U.S. Open as I continue my crazy but fun two weeks, my two favorite sports intersecting. 13 hours after walking out of the booth in Salt Lake City last night, I walk into Arthur Ashe Stadium, excited to have two really compelling women's matches to call. Got Coco Goff in prime time. Feel pretty good considering about three hours sleep. I also want to get the bad taste out of my mouth because I didn't feel good about the way the football broadcast ended last night. Opening game, rust, but but no excuses, just bad eye mechanics. Announcers have certain places to put your eyes on every play to call it properly and just lost focus and had poor mechanics and made myself mad. I think you got you to face it. You got to fix it. When you do lopsided tennis matches, you take your focus off the court and put it on other topics. It can carry over to football, and that's just not acceptable in football. It's a bad habit. Um, I believe in being transparent here. I'll fix it. Andrew, your thoughts? Well, first off, uh, you know, Fowler addressed that, um, which, you know, like he said, he likes to be transparent. Um, eye mechanics um, is something you don't hear that often. Uh, he's moving from tennis to, to football. I mean, I think the big thing is, is like, if I'm ESPN, like you could have, if this is an issue, you could avoid it. Now they just did a new deal with uh, Fowler. Um, so I think he's doing both. But if this is an issue, you could just have him not do football for the first two weeks. Um that would be one where you could have them just be dedicated to football and not do tennis. I mean, there's other people who could do them. Um, I've said before, I don't think Fowler's even their best play-by-player on college football. So you wouldn't have the eye mechanics issue. Yeah. I mean, he addressed that and that's kind of like where we are media, the media covering media. It's like, you know, now we always say like the, you know, players can, uh, they can just forego us, right? The media, sports writers. Now the media covering sports can forego media writers and just say what they think right to the audience. And we'll talk about it anytime. Let's get to the big get. John, let's bring in our big gets. Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart, Fox's lead NFL team. They start everything off this Sunday afternoon. They called last year's Super Bowl. Very good reviews, including from us. Um, and we're thrilled to have them again. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Great to be back. I can't wait. We're, we're, we're Here we go, Greg. Week one. Let's do it. How's it going, guys? Good to be back on. Week one, Andrew, I'm, uh, I'm so happy to have Burkhardt on here, the, the host of uh, MLB Studio Show. First question, Adley Rushman, best ever or just best of best today? John, do I have to like have security remove you from our set in Baltimore for the ALCS? <laughs> Is that going to be a problem? Oh, like... it will be a big problem. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I feel like you might have to look into that a little bit. It's it's a, it's a fun year. It's a pretty cool story. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, gosh, I love the way they're playing. Obviously, so we'll see. We definitely could be in your backyard in a couple of weeks. Hey, so uh, thank you for coming on uh, year two uh, for both of you calling NFL games. How does the preparation for this season differ from your first season? I mean, I don't really think I'm sitting here, feel like I'm back deja vu, getting ready, Bears Packers, sitting here in my office, diving into depth charts and storylines and everyone's guess and uh, how good Justin Fields and Jordan Love. And I don't know if you guys knew that they were, Jordan Love was replacing Aaron Rodgers. I uh, just, that was that was in the notes this morning. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it feels... It feels like it did last year. I think uh, I'm just as excited as I was, and I'm looking forward to uh, diving in. We got a little taste of it last uh, two weeks ago with our preseason game down in New Orleans, um, albeit preseason and you know not a lot of guys that we you know playing and whatnot. But it still felt good. It felt good to be together as a crew, be in the booth. Kevin and I talked during the week about storylines and 
it just felt good to kind of get back in the action. And now, you know, we're a few days away from, from doing it for real. So I'm excited for the season to start. I think the anticipation um, now at this stage is very similar to how it used to be for me getting ready to play. There's a lot of unknowns. You don't know how the season's going to go. You don't know how things are going to play out. And I think that's the beauty of it. I think that's the part that makes all of us anxious and, and anticipate the unknown of what is inevitably uh, going to be another NFL, you know, another fun NFL season. So going back though, through your first season, the full season, what did you learn uh, from last season that you can apply to this season? I think I'm constantly learning every single week. I think I learned my season in 21 with Kevin, um, you know, calling our slate of games. I, I learned things throughout that entire season, obviously, because I'd never done it. And then last year, you know, had to do it at a different level, had to do it with more cameras, had to do it with, you know, different crew around you, more resources, more technology. You know, I, I think the entire thing has been kind of a an ever-evolving process for me personally, and I think that's been the fun of it. I think um, it never goes stale. It never, it never seems redundant. It never seems like the same thing day in and day out, and I think that's why I've enjoyed it. Um, there's still a lot of things I'm still learning. There's still a lot of things that we joke about that up in the booth – Kevin, I could see Kevin kind of rolling his eyes and smirking. I mean, there's, there's times where like, I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Like, I'm just like, I need the camera that kind of comes in from behind the end. And they're like, you mean the pit? I'm like, I don't give a shit what it's called. Just give it to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like I'm, that's not, I don't, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on all things um, TV. I don't pretend to be, but I really enjoy sitting in a booth with Kevin talking football explaining the game the way that we both see it um that part i i do know the rest of the tv stuff uh fortunately for me i can just go with what kevin kevin steers the ship and he knows where to take me and he knows where to take where the game's going to take him so in that regard i'm um very lucky i still get to fix his hair and his tie before we go on the air so like some things are still the same <laughs> a few years yeah. into our on-air relationship you got to be true to who you are. You know what I mean? Like, that's who we are. Like, it's like, you know, it's, that's, that's the whole thing. We're, we're brothers. <laughs> when you look at it a year ago, we had you on and you guys said all the right things, but you were replacing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. It was a Super Bowl year and it, it went well, right? And especially the Super Bowl. But was there a kind of, we got to nail this, this first year and were there, I don't know, nerves, but was there, like, what was the feeling in terms of, I know you said publicly what you said to us and, and, and perhaps that was how you truly felt, but like, was it, because it is kind of make or break in this business, how, how it works um, in terms of how you're judged, especially when you have the number one job. Um, how were you looking at it internally that maybe you weren't um, kind of saying publicly or was it the same? I, I, I really, I'm more excited than nervous at this point. I mean, I'm 49 years old. I'm not a kid. And like, I'm just going to go and like, you know, let it rip and let the chips fall where they may. It's all I've ever done. It's all, you know, and luckily it's gotten me to this point. Um, I will say that, um, of course, you know, having an all-time Super Bowl and and I think we had a really good show. Um, that feels great. And I think the biggest thing to your question, Andrew, is, yeah, we know who we're, uh, you know, I, I looked up to Joe Buck, right? Like, I think Joe and Troy are, are unbelievable and Joe was super supportive uh, of us, uh, he and Troy, when they left, like we obviously still talk. Um, but I think the one thing that I felt, I don't know about Greg, but after the Super Bowl, when we're, you know, getting hugs from everybody and, you know, we're out and celebrating, I felt really proud to kind of live up to what our bosses put us in. You know, they put us in this position 
they obviously took a shot, right? They could have they could have done something else there, and they took two guys who were not necessarily household names. Certainly, Greg is way more than I am, um, and they put us in that spot. So when we got done with the game, and I thought it was a pretty good broadcast, I felt good to kind of make them proud. Hopefully, that's what I felt about it uh, after we were done. Did they talk to other? I think they might have talked to other people as well, um, or people maybe contacted them for that job, if I recall. Um, you may have had something on that. I'm not sure. Exactly. So, and Greg, for you, I mean, but th- there is something too. Now, obviously, you guys had worked together before, but when you have the Super Bowl, and to use an analogy, you don't want to have a three interception game, right? I mean, like, you know, especially for the position that you've been put in, you wanted to have a strong game. And when you come out of that, I mean, what was that feeling like? I mean, I know broadcasting is not the same as playing, but I got to, I would have to think that felt pretty good that Monday that you know what, this was successful. I did nail it. Even though you had confidence in yourself that actually you did it. Yeah, I think the analogy is right. I think nobody wants to go in and have a three interception game any week, right? I, whether it's week one, week seven, a one o'clock game or the Super Bowl. But I also think, and, and Kevin and I talked a lot about this. I also, you know, don't think you want to go in and go five for seven for 98 yards, Right. I also, right. Like you don't want to go in and just be so scared of throwing three picks that you don't, that you just don't bring any value. Right. You, the, the moment becomes so big and the fear of having a bad day overshines the urgency to go out and really shine and, and, and to do the game service, not for me and Kevin, right. The game deserved a broadcast fit for the state, for the, for the stage that it was on. Right. And whether it was Kevin and I, or, next year, Romo and Nance or Joe and Troy or whoever, like, I think everybody feels that level of burden of saying, you know, listen, this is the premier sporting event in the world. And it's only one day. It's one night. There's no best of seven. There's no comeback tomorrow. You get one shot and the game deserves a performance that it deserves. So I I think Kevin and I were very clear with each other, like, Hey man, let's come in and do our game. Let's not be afraid to go out on a limb. Let's not go out let's not be afraid to go out and say things the way we really feel and really develop some interesting storylines that maybe other people haven't dove into very deeply throughout the year. Like just because it's the Super Bowl doesn't mean we have to shy away from what we've done all year, which has been that. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we didn't throw three picks, but I'm also proud of the fact that we didn't change what we did. We didn't change who we were because the stage grew. We, if anything else, we, we leaned in deeper to who we are and hopefully what people enjoyed about our, our show. Should I tell the funny story if, if they're asking if we were nervous about the pregame? That's a great story. Tell it. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're going to both say definitely. This, uh, all right. So this, yeah, don't tell us a great story. This is good. So you're asking if we're nervous. And I, I totally like, obviously echo what Greg said, right? Like we were just going and we're going we're gonna to do us. Like we got, we obviously get help that it was an all-time game, right? I mean, let's, let's, it's 35 all with four minutes to go. Um, but I think we just like that was our pact to each other. But to give you an illustration, you're asking if we're we're nervous pregame. You know, this is ours for the game. We have our uh, we have a hit into the pregame show, and um, we're downstairs. There's like a green room downstairs in the stadium, and we're just watching the pregame. Like we're at this point, like we're we're ready to watch the pregame. We're having snacks, like eating these peanut butter pretzel things, and like just talking about the game and. We just kind of lost track of time. <laughs> and next thing you know, our phone's ringing. I'm like, who's calling? This is kind of, you know. And then it's it's uh, it's Rich Russo. He's like, are you guys coming to your hit? 
We're like, what do you mean? Looked at the clock and the hit was in like four minutes. Like, holy shit, dude, we got to get on the field. We're just like sitting there stuffing our faces, like watching the pregame. Like, oh, this is great. So like we're out like trying to find the exit to get out on the field. We're like, we go on the field and Don Cornelli is like waving his hands on the other side of the field. And we're running across the field to uh, to make our pregame hit. Good news is after that, like we made the rest of the broadcast. Uh, but that was like, that was the start of our day, which we laugh about like every time we see each other now. We literally were putting our earpiece IFBs in, running, and we were like literally as they plugged our 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 ear earpot and whatever the hell it's called into the pack, we could then pick up the pregame show. I think it was Kurt or whoever was like throwing it to Kevin. I mean, when we we literally walked into our mark, the camera was already set on. Kevin's already responding. We're not even in place yet. I mean, we made it by three seconds. They must have been like, oh, this is going to be a hell of a Super Bowl call by these two. The bosses are probably like, we let these two assholes call our friggin' Super Bowl. They can't even make it on time to their pregame hit. The game's not for another three hours. That was like that's like the broadcast equivalent of like the Thurman Thomas. Uh, he couldn't yeah. find his helmet, right? Wasn't that what he did back in the day? Exactly right. Exactly so right. Well, fortunately, we, uh, we, we made, made it. it. We made it. So the thing to me about uh, your your first year doing it is that you got a lot of praise. I mean, a lot of kudos from uh, from critics, from social media. Uh, I was lucky enough, Andrew. I spent um, uh, the <clears throat> NFC Championship game in Philadelphia, uh, sort of behind the scenes. I did a story uh, w- with you two. I, I, I totally saw Greg Olson as the Pied Piper, sort of going around. And I think one of the main reasons you got so many kudos is that. You, the chemistry that you both have in, in the booth that goes back sort of a long way. And so I just wanted to open it up to you. Like, what's your go-to story from the road in season one? Like, what what, what was like the, the one story that, that, that you love to retell? I, I don't know if I have one story. I do think the, I would say the biggest adjustment the rest of the crew had to Kevin and I arriving was I think they're, um, when they tried to get reimbursed for, when Z tried, when, when Richie Z tried to get, uh, reimbursed for our Saturday night dinners. I think it was a little uh, eye opening that they they're like this. You're going to do this every Saturday night. And we're like, yep. <laughs> this is a big part of our creative process. Like we're going to go out to a great dinner with the entire crew. Everyone's involved. Everyone's a part of it, and we're going to have a great time. And we're going to do it once a week, and it's going to be great. And I think early on, Z was like, we're and. A couple of weeks in, it was the highlight of the week, right? Like everyone made sure, get all your work done, get your meetings done, whatever you got to do. Saturday night at seven o'clock, you better be at dinner. And I just think the camaraderie and and the and the ability to form the relationships. Obviously, Kevin and I had a strong relationship from years before, but for the rest of the crew, we knew Aaron. I had never met Tom. I didn't know Russo. I didn't know Z. I didn't know any of this. I mean, I didn't know any of them. Kevin had some background with some of them. I knew no one outside of Kevin and Aaron to a degree. That was it. So I think it'll, you know, you speak about just the crew and our culture and all that. I really believe what we did away from meetings, the time we spent at dinner, the time we spent bullshitting in the hotel lobby bar before or after games, like, I think it led to a crew that everyone felt very engaged. I think everyone felt very appreciated. Everyone felt their role was critical to the end product. And this was not just Kevin and I coming in saying, all right, this is, it was not even remotely close to that environment. And I think everybody really and liked, really enjoyed it. And uh, 
by the end of the year, our, our Saturday night dinners were being attended by, you know, execs and, 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 and the bosses. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. And, and as silly as it sounds, I, I do think that stuff matters. Rich Russo and Richie Zients, producer, director, a lot of our audience knows that, but some don't. So um, who uh, do the number one game question, how many people were at this, these dinners approximately? Um, what do you think, KB? Like 12 to 15? I was going to say 15. Yeah. But right. I, you know, it, 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 I mean, give or take a couple weeks, but most weeks it's around that number. Yeah. What was the, what's the, what was the bill running at? I mean, it depends if there's a seafood tower involved that, that really jacked <laughs> it up. But with, with the seafood tower, what we got? I think the, a I think the thousand bucks, right? Right. Yeah, that's fair. That seems sufficient. I think they have money. Bucks. They don't have seafood towers at McDonald's, Andrew. Well, that's where you're no. going. When, when no, they, no, no, no. I, I was trying to get the number. When they, <laughs> when they, when they, when they, yeah, when the I would say a couple thousand bucks. I mean, not not every weekend did we do like the top best restaurant. And some nights, if people were getting in late, like a couple weeks when Kevin's doing baseball, if he's rolling in from a baseball, and we just maybe sometimes we just like get dinner in the product in the meeting room and just kind of eat as we talk and stuff. It's nothing but. You know, this weekend in Chicago, we're going to get our weekend started off right. We're going to go to a good, you know, good steakhouse. Chicago has some of the best foods. We're going to make the most of being there. And we, uh, when we get our opportunities, we're going to make the most of it. When you do that, you know, that's something that kind of comes from being a player, I think. Uh, and so I always wonder about, did this ever happen to you? The rookies, like when you go for dinners like that as a player, they sometimes make the rookie pay for these dinners. Did you have to do that when you were uh, a player? Uh, so and, and what? A couple of years ago when Kevin and I uh, did the XFL together, I think I got, we didn't exactly have the meal budget uh, in the XFL <laughs> broadcast that we do now. That meal budget was zero. Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't think anyone got reimbursed. So a couple of those weeks, if I felt like our, our, if I felt our producer was maybe a little like, Oh man, we went to a really good spot in like DC or whatever for one of the games. I'd be like, all right, I'm the new guy. I'm the reason we came here. I got this one and I'll just eat it. But now no, now, now, uh, all bets are off. Yeah, it's the cost of doing business for the XFL. We, we, me and Kevin would pick up a couple of the bills, but um, it was all in good fun. All right, we've made it this far, John. I'm, um, proud, I'm proud of you, Andrew. Like I, so nineteen uh, minutes. We, I'm impressed. It took nineteen. Yeah, exactly. We made it this far. The Brady meter. What is it right now? It's dead even at fifty fifty that he does it. Um. You know, we've been doing the Brady meter uh, since, you know, relatively after he signed his 10-year $375 million contract. He's taken a gap year this year. How much? 375. I'm getting seven seafood platters this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one more than the six we normally order. There you go. So they can afford it. Um, All right. Well, like when you look at it, I know you had conversations with Tom when, you know, he's playing – um, how do you approach that? Cause you know, you have this year and then in theory, he's coming next year, which, um, how do you look at it now? And I'm, I'm not just giving you coach speak. I'm not, you know, it's the same answer I gave everybody last year. Um, nothing's really changed in my mind outside of, we don't have the Super Bowl, Right. And, um, I think the interest last year was so unique in the fact that the story was the story. Then the Brady, you know, the Brady question, then the Super Bowl, then can Kevin and Greg live up to Joe and Troy? So I think last year there was a lot of layers. I think this year some of the layers have been stripped away. But listen, the reality is the main story still kind of, you know, the shadow of that still kind of looms over it. And um, 
it's there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing Kevin can do. It, this has nothing to do with any of us. Um, I'm going to try to go out this year and do the same thing we've done the last two years. And that's hopefully give people a broadcast that they enjoy. Uh, not everyone's gonna, but hopefully a lot of people do. And if at this stage next year, things change, then they change. And outside of that approach, there's really nothing else. I cannot live and die with every story. I cannot live and die with every speculative rumor. I can, it just, it doesn't do me any good, right? It, it, it wouldn't do you any good as a player looking over your shoulder at the new draft pick or, you know, the new free agent. And it wouldn't do me any, any favors now. So I, I'm going to go call games, prepare for games, try to find cool things to talk about, teach the game, be, you know, be a part of a fun crew for as long as they'll have me. And next year when, or if things change, um, we'll reevaluate and see where things stand and go from there. And I don't really have any other way of going about it. And uh, I don't know how else to do it other than just do, just do what we've been doing for the last, you know, call it 18 months, 16 months, whatever. I'd like to see the analytics on the Brady meter. Can we have a, uh, can we have a breakdown? Is there a, <laughs> is there some kind of uh, breakdown on that? I mean, I, I listen, I, I, I just, cause I know you want my answer. I, I agree with Greg and I'll say this like, and again, maybe this is just me getting older in a different part of my life and just, you know, and, just trying to experience what's in front of you. Um, the things that I can't control, I'm just, I'm just long over worrying about. That's in any aspect of my life, truthfully. I just, it is what it is, right? Like no matter what, like I, I have no idea and I can't control it, so I'm just not going to worry about. It. That's kind of been, you know, obviously Greg and I talked about it at the beginning of last year, and we really haven't talked about it since. And I don't, you know, I don't think we really will this year. We just go out and do our thing. But I would like to see the analytics of the meter at some point. Kevin is also a stoic. Uh, Kevin's very big into stoicism about controlling your own path and whatnot. So he's, he's very, uh, he just tapped into his inner stoicism right there. So that was very good. I knew I'd make you proud. That is good. Like, I guess, how much contact do you have with Tom? I don't have it. I, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Uh, we exchanged texts years ago, a uh, couple years ago, I was at a Panther game when they played the, the Bucks and he was super nice and came over and said hi to my boy. Um, and you know, he, Tom has always been super friendly to me every time I've met him. Every time I've been around him, it's mostly been in football settings. Um, came out of his way to say hi to one of my kids one time on a sideline, you know, so exchanged a brief like, hey, man, thanks a lot. It made a lot, meant a lot to my son, you know, good luck, whatever. But um, outside of that, I haven't had a lot of interaction with him um, personally, no. Yeah, same. I mean, there's been like an occasional text, but nothing of substance. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, until something changes, that's that's I think that's that's the way it is, right? Well, I, I want to move on to a, a, a different topic. One of the reasons I'm so excited to have both of you on is that you're both sort of steeped in the media business and you like to talk about uh, sports media. And Kevin, uh, we, we had um, uh, Chris Fowler talking about going from the U.S. Open to doing college football. And, you know, he he, he by his own admission said he didn't have a very good first week because it, it was difficult to make that that change going from tennis to uh to football you do that uh i know you don't do play-by-play -play baseball but you do that like football going to baseball is that uh, how difficult do you find that i mean john i'm not digging ditches you know what i mean i mean let, let's let's face it i um uh, it, it's it's fun it, it really is i mean when you look at it like you get to do you know game six of the world series one night and do uh, a football game the next right and so yeah there were a couple of uh crazy nights in sleep like last year um uh, 
you know, game six of the World Series ended in Houston. We had a game in Detroit. I think I, I landed at like 3.30 uh, in the morning and it was a one o'clock game. And so whatever, you get a couple hours less sleep, but I think you have to embrace it, right? Like, does it mean that it's easy? Does it mean that you're, it's harder to focus when you're on, you know, two and a half hours of sleep, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, it's, it's really, it's just finding the time to do the prep and make sure like that's, that's, I think the most challenging thing, right? It's like finding the time to divvy up your time while you're, so you're prepping for, baseball and football and getting all of it done and being ready for every show that you're on. Like when you're doing uh, the baseball every night and then jump into a football game, you just have to have, I, I find myself, I'm relatively routine oriented anyway, but I find myself like really like, I'm like, okay, from, you know, you know, two to 3 PM today, I'm doing that. Like I, I really lay it out. Like last year was the first year that I did it, that I did both. Cause in years past before I, uh, when I was on the other crew, I had, been off of football for a month so last year was the first year that i did it and i just found that like laying it out and like really planning the day helped me a lot but man it's fun i it's so much fun to be a part of that and be a part of those big events greg we talk a lot about college football and what's going on with college football you played in miami i think you were the other day you were at the uh opening of the new acc headquarters i think you won the they pulled the flags up i think you won that if i'm not mistaken Who's counting? Like, keep, keep going. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, that's a title for you. Um, I count my, like, uh, co-ed soccer championships, so you can count up winning a, you know, bringing the flag up first. I won the co-ed intramural softball championship in college, so you can add that to my intro next time. But there go you go. You want there me to say that at the Open uh, Sunday? Should I, should I yeah, say that? Just, I just want to make sure my, 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 my wall is getting full of accolades. There you go. Um, what do you make of it as, you know, you play big-time college football at Miami um, from a – you know, obviously from a TV perspective, but I'm kind of more interested as a as a guy who was on the field and, and did this and, and looking at what's gone on. What's your take on all this movement and realignment, and um, how do you feel about it? Yeah, so I, I think there's two there's two perspectives that matter, and I think neither one of the perspectives matter to the other side, right? So I think the the number one perspective that's controlling all of this is the media rights, right? So I think it's very clear the West Coast teams are trying to find themselves in time zones, find themselves in conferences against both premier brands, but also in premier time slots so that they can get a better deal, right? You guys covered it as much as anybody with the PAC 12, trying to get a TV deal, walked away from an offer, probably looking back, should have taken it. They'd probably still be a conference next year, but th that's all this is right. The, the TV money drives all of sports. It drives everything right now. And People are smart. They they want to be affiliated with both big iconic brands and leagues full of iconic brands that are going to play on major platforms and therefore have bigger TV rights, right? It's not a complicated process to figure out. With the NIL and the transfer and the ability for kids to pop around, you know, we saw what went down with, with Colorado. You know, 10 years ago, Colorado's not happening. 10 years ago, shit, five years ago, it's not happening. You're not going to bring in 75 new players and get really good because you bring in Dion. In today's world, you get a guy like Dion who's captivating. He knows how to promote brand. He knows how to attract kids. You can change overnight. And now all of a sudden, a school like Colorado is a lot more appealing to other conferences than maybe they would have been. So I think there's a lot of factors at play of what allows this landscape to change. That's the, that's the perspective that's winning and making all the decisions. The perspective that no one's caring about is we all focus this through the lens of football because football is what pays the bills for all the other sports outside of a handful of schools that have basketball and a couple SEC baseball programs. And that's about it. The kids that are playing, you know, women's soccer, men's soccer, lacrosse, tennis, 
basketball, uh, they're not flying on private planes. They're not chartering planes and driving onto the jet bridge. They're, you know, Stanford's going to play a game on the, on the East coast and try to get back for Monday class. Like I think the student experience for all the non, you know, not football, they'll be fine. They're going to fly on private planes and get where they have to go. I think the student athlete experience for all these other programs, the non-revenue generating programs, I think the experience for these kids is going to be hard. I think it's going to be hard to carry on a national coast-to-coast soccer schedule, basketball schedule, field hockey, lacrosse, whatever the sport is. I think it's going to be a challenge. The problem is the reason those sports don't get a lot of seats at the table is because if it wasn't for the finances that were driven by the by football and a handful of the other sports at some schools, their program would cease to exist, right? So it's this chicken or the egg. Like you can't survive as an athletic program unless you feed your football program. And you can't survive if your football program doesn't feed your athletic program in return. But to chase those dollars, you're changing the experience for a lot of scholarship athletes. So I I think that's going to be a challenge for these kids. I don't know how it's going to all play out, but um, they're not flying on charter planes in women's soccer to get from Cal to go play Clemson in the ACC. You know, they're just not. And do you think the solution eventually, though, is football and basketball do their own thing and then you have more regional conferences for the other sports? That would be fascinating. And I don't pretend to know the economics maybe as much as you guys do. So I'd be I'd be interested to hear. How, I guess my the big concern would be so, so much. Right. So my understanding is that school athletic budgets are both internally generated. Right. How much revenue do you just create in itself? Right. Just your Texas, but, you know, Texas and Georgia, how much does their athletic department just generate internally? And then the share of conference revenue, we've seen that with a lot of the realignment. I guess my point is like conference revenue, my understanding is a big part of the factor too. And that's how a lot of these programs. So I guess if they're not, if the football gets stripped out, what is the conference share of revenue to help support tennis and golf and soccer and I don't like I don't I don't I don't I don't know the answer. I guess that would be my first thing is would then would the money be separate for football and then the rest of the teams would just share the remaining pie. I just don't know if the remaining pie is enough to sustain if you took football out of it. Greg, I have one more question on on this. As an ACC guy, what do you hope for for your alma mater for Miami? Do you hope that they stick with the ACC? Do you hope that if there's an opening at the SEC, they move there? Like what, what, what's your personal bias right now? Yeah, I, I guess my personal bias is I, I'm not really, I don't really care what conference everybody plays in. I, I would hate to see Miami not play Florida state. Um, I think since Miami's coming to the ACC, the traditional Miami rivalries that I remember growing up as a high school kid, we'd play Florida state, even, you know, we'd play Florida state. Virginia Tech was in the Big East, so that was a conference game. Syracuse, when they were good, was in the Big East with, like, uh, Dwight Freeney and those guys. They had a good run. But, like, once we came to the ACC outside of the Florida State rivalry, there was really no other big rivalries in, like, traditional rivalries within the conference. You know, we'd play Florida as an out-of-conference game every, you know, handful of years or whatever. So I don't so much care about that. I think in this arms race that is college football – whatever conference Miami could go into that would help them keep up with the Joneses a little bit, right? No one's going to ever catch Georgia and Alabama and especially some of the top SEC teams, USC, Texas. No, you're not. Miami is never going to be on even playing field with them. 
they're just not it's apples and oranges as far as infrastructure alumni school size private versus public it's just never going to happen so if they could go into the big 10 or they could go into wherever as i'd love to see them stay in the acc right it's here in charlotte it's local they play all the teams in the carolinas it's good for me personally but if there was an opportunity to get more revenue from a conference share from a conference pool that allowed them to increase facilities increase nil to increase you have to look at it, right? As at the end of the day, as we've said, that's what's driving this entire ship. College sports right now is an absolute disaster. How about the girl in the U.S. Open who I think went to North, was it North Carolina? She was a Carolina, she was a Carolina tennis player. She made, I don't know, the quarterfinals or whatever she made. She, had, she could not accept $81,000 in tournament prize money, but then the kid at whatever school can go do some bullshit deal with it and drive around in a Ferrari. Yeah. NIL deal. It's yeah. mind blowing. Like, in what world this girl at least earned her money. These other deals are all bullshit. And these kids are making millions of dollars off fictitious arrangements. And this girl works her ass off to go to the U S open and can't accept the money. But then these other it's, I think college sports right now is doomed. I think the whole thing is a mess. Fair enough. It's well, a for another day. Yeah, no, it was a good topic today. Guys, really appreciate you coming on. Last year we did this. We did this uh, now in the uh, second season, and we appreciate you guys um, and wish you a great season. Got it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so guys, much. Thanks for having us. Always great to have uh, uh, Burkhardt and Olson on here. As I said in one of the questions, Andrew, I just I love how they are able to just talk about the entire sports media landscape. They are, they are sports media nerds like you and me. And, and the big thing is, about the broadcast and this is like when you talk about crews they really like each other you could tell they love hanging out with each other um and that's really important like i think when you look at like when joe buck left i mean one of the things was uh joe buck did not want a new partner you know he, he and, and troy aikman were really comfortable together and it's understandable because you have to build up that chemistry and you have to build up and get to know each other and and try to work with somebody and that can be hard they were new together. They'd worked, you know, before um, on XFL, and then they did a year of NFL together. You could just tell those guys like hanging out, and regardless of what happens with Tom Brady, they're going to be lifelong friends. Uh, and so uh, you can see that. And, you know, I think Olsen is a guy who's been sought after. I think inside the NFL, um, they wanted him. It didn't happen. Uh, but uh, he could have done some studio work uh, this year as well during the week on uh, inside the NFL that's being hosted by Ryan Clark. Uh, they definitely made a run at uh, Olsen. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so they were great. Well, thank you, everybody, for getting to the end of this podcast. I got to tell you, Andrew, I think I could have gone another half hour on uh, on Charter. I love this topic. Hopefully, we made it entertaining for people. If they're listening to this point, I guess, we, you know, you did especially. You love this topic. It is your Super Bowl. Um, I got to call them out, too, uh, on this. Um, you know, for – it stinks. I got to be honest with you. I mean, at the end of the day, for – the consumer for the person who's paying $268. I think it might 286. I don't even know. It's so expensive. Um, it's, uh, it's things. And what the hell is that smell? Yeah. The chaos and the, the, the change that the, the, the future is here as uh, in terms of how we're going to be consuming and watching stuff. I, it's totally fascinating to me. One last thing. Does this push direct to consumer even closer to happening? I don't know. It depends on what deal is made. I like I my 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 meter on that is at 50-50. I, I I don't have a good handle on that yet. Fair enough. All right. Uh master of the board, Chris Mason. 
uh, always does a great job with everything, including the drops. AC Wyatt puts this all together. People who are listening on Google, we do appreciate you hanging with us. We know there's an issue a couple of times in terms of the pod getting posted. Um, we got our best people uh, working on that day and night to figure that out. Um, and so uh, uh, to stick with us or try a different um, where Apple and Spotify don't seem to have issues um, and others. If you just hang out with us, we appreciate that. Uh, so next week, John, see you then. Take care. Thanks for listening. This is a non-kicker slander podcast, so I can't allow no, his think, field goals to be. Wait, did he make the field goal or did he miss it? Three, two. As soon as you start, it's like. A, oh, maybe it's this. Oh, that's totally it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> blooper, blooper. Finally, Andrew gets the blooper oh, star in starring yeah. role. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. It's a lawless world. To bring to justice the lawless men. That was an oof. That was an oof. Yeah. Were my up and down to inside baseball? They're always inside baseball. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you hear my dog? That's my dog. That's my dog. That's my dog.